Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, March 13th, we are studying John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. In today's text, Jesus and his disciples are together before the feast of the Passover, and Jesus loves them to the end. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this returning guest, Pastor Bernie Shea. Pastor Shea serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Old Dime Box, Texas. Pastor Shea, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thanks very much, Pastor Apple. Good to be back. As we get started today, Pastor Shea, let's talk context. We're starting John 13 today. What should we know about the Gospel of John, the surrounding context that will help us with the verses before us? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> we, uh, uh, First of all, may I start with a prayer? For, Go um, for it. Great. All right. Let us pray. Merciful Father, you have given your only Son as the sacrifice for sinners. Grant us grace to receive the fruits of his redeeming work with thanksgiving, and daily to follow in his way through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. I really am glad you asked that about context, because that was uh, that was where I was going to start. Uh, because if you start with, if you bring John 13 in out of the blue, it's, uh, you know, it still makes sense, but it, it's helpful to note the chapters before and after. Um, you know, it's true that all of Scripture is centered on the atonement. That is to say, Good Friday, when Jesus says, it is finished. The statement of Jesus from the cross says that it's all done. The work of the work of the forgiveness of sins is finished and now offered to us. In fact, I'd even say that Good Friday is the most important day of world history. And the atonement, when Jesus says that, that's the purpose of his, his coming here to this earth, the purpose of the incarnation. But um, it's it's good to remember that there are uh, things leading up to the atonement in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, uh, there's a French word, denouement. It means the, the slow revelation of the plot, the slow revelation of the, well, maybe not slow, but the eventual revelation and un unveiling of the plot. And so it is with the Gospels, too. Well, what I'd like to do with John 13 is show how that apostle leads up to the cross with mounting drama and increased anticipation. And what I'd like to do, you mentioned context. I'd like to give real brief descriptions of the three chapters before John 13. Um, can I go ahead and do that? Go Did ahead. You, unless you had something else. No, go, go right <laughs> ahead. So you're going you're gonna to talk to us about 10, 11, and 12 leading up to chapter That's 13. Correct. That's correct. I'm, I get, I'm guessing you've already covered those on your, your program. But, but yeah, John 10, uh, um, the gate slash door and the good shepherd. First of all, Jesus speaks of him, himself as the good shepherd. Parallel there with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, another high point in John 10 is 
I lay my, down my life and I take it up again. Verse 17. And a wonderful passage, verse 30, I and the Father are one. Uh, John 10 is just such a great chapter. Then John 11, this is really key, the raising of Lazarus. First of all, I'd like to point out that in verse 16, Thomas says to him, let us go and die with him. That is to say, let us go and die with Jesus. Because it's clear that where Jesus is going back to Bethany, where Lazarus has died, uh, is full of unfriendly people ready to stone Jesus. So Thomas and apparently the other one said, well, he's going to go back. He's going to go back and might as well go back and die with him. Uh, verse 35 in John 11, Jesus wept. Uh, I suppose I should have put that one a little later, but, but when, um, when, he's, when Jesus is talking with Mary and Martha, particularly with Martha, um, uh, he, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of many I am statements in John's gospel. I am this, I am that, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate door. I am, I am, I am the bread of life. Um, and Martha's response is very interesting. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ who is coming into the world. She doesn't ask, answer his question directly, but she says, you are the Christ. And then uh, a few verses later, verses 45 and 53, the, this is interesting. This is the Holy Spirit given declaration of the high priest Caiaphas that, quote, it is better that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perished. And they decided then that Jesus had to be killed. This raising of Lazarus, Lazarus apparently was the, the last straw. And from that time on, they made plans to put him to death. And then a few verses after that, John writes, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. All right, now let's do verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 12. This takes place in Bethany. Apparently, John 12 records the, the events of six days before the Passover. Passover, the festival, is key in this whole context. There was a dinner at Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, presumably, um, gave a dinner for Jesus, rejoicing in the fact that Lazarus was alive again. Mary anointed him with expensive perfume. And then in a Shawshank Redemption sort of a way, uh, plans were laid to kill Lazarus as well. I guess he was to be killed because he was exhibit A or exhibit number one in the fact that this Jesus of Nazareth could raise people from the dead. Not only did they want to kill Jesus, but well, let's kill the evidence. When I say Shawshank Redemption, I mean that uh, there was one inmate in that prison. If you saw that movie a few decades back, uh, um, there was one inmate in the prison who could have testified to the main character's innocence. So it was necessary that that young man who could testify to the innocence of Andy Dufresne had to be killed. And he was killed, I'm sad to say. Uh, Palm Sunday procession is verses 12 to 19. And then some Greeks, apparently some Greek Jews came to see Jesus. And Jesus solemnly said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he says, unless the grain of wheat dies. And he's not talking about botany. He's talking about himself, himself being killed and buried, planted in the ground in order that much fruit might result, much grain. He's not talking about grain, he's talking about people. He also mentions the hour again in verse 27. 
Father, save me from this hour. No, I've come for this very hour. And the voice from heaven of his father indicated his approval with that. A few verses later, Jesus says, Now is the ruler of this world to be cast out. Being lifted up, I will draw people to myself. And that is a magnificent thing. Being raised up, uh, lifted up, lifted up on the cross, he will draw all nations to himself. Some of the authorities at that time apparently did believe in him, but they feared the Pharisees, who were probably pretty good neighbors, but uh, didn't really like Jesus that much. And finally, he says, he who believes in me believes in the one who sent me. Here again, the light of life and the darkness of belief are contrasted. This is at the very end of John 12. So Passover is right around this time, and that's very important. Uh, to John 13. Uh, well, that's anyway, that's my little synopsis of 10, 11, and 12. So and, uh, just to, to kind of summarize yeah. then and keep that focus on the atonement, on what Jesus is going to do there on Good Friday in a few chapters from where we are today, as you, you mentioned, all the way in chapters 10, 11, and 12, we see the death of Jesus in view. He's the good shepherd who will lay down his life and take it back up yes. again. He's the one going to Bethany. The disciples say, we're going to die with him. He's the one right. who's going to die for all the people, as Caiaphas prophesies. And now his hour has come. He's about to be lifted on the cross to draw all people to himself. So the, the death of Jesus has been in view for several chapters already. We could go through all the chapters of John, really, and see sure. the references throughout. But we don't sure. want to lose sight of that as we start chapter right. 13. And again, right. John's going to put before us the, the feast of the Passover as the context. John 13, this is happening on Monday, Thursday now, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to say something about that in just a minute. But yeah, go, go ahead. Were you going to finish? Nope. That? I was just going to start reading the text, if that's all right with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, please do. Please all do. All right. So we're in John 13, beginning at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved the fa- having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. I'll pause there, Pastor Shea. That takes us through verse 11. This is the dramatic scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. But before we get to that act, John gives us some lead up in the first couple of verses of this chapter. He says, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Talk about the the setting that John gives us there in that first verse. Yeah, 
there are a number of uh, commentators who think that this was not the Passover meal that he was describing. I thought, that, I'd never heard that before. So I'm like, I had always assumed that this was the Passover meal, the Passover Seder. Now, it's true that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very specific. You know, Jesus charged some of his disciples to go prepare it. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are together, and John does things his own way. Uh, and those synoptics don't mention Jesus administering the foot washing either. But from the context of not only the chapters before, the 10, 11, 12 that I mentioned, 13 itself, and then 14, 15, 16, 17, eight, and 18, it, it seems clear that it was the Passover meal. I have no problem with that. But, but yeah. Uh, and this, well, this text, Pastor Shea, just as a, a, yeah. a, a, this is one of the texts that is sometimes read on Monday, Thursday during worship. Oh, yeah. That's, sometimes yeah. you'll hear John 13 and what happens with Jesus washing the feet on Monday, Thursday. Other times you'll hear what happens in the Synoptic Gospels, the account of the giving of the Lord's Supper for the first time. So this right. has been understood throughout the history of the Church to happen on Monday, Thursday. Yeah, I was just mar remarking that I was puzzling to sure. me that they said, no, it's not. I thought, well, <laughs> this world is full of all kinds of opinions. Uh, again, in, in verse 1, verse 1 stands by itself. Uh, Jesus said in 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When he in verse 1 of 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And that, that, that word hour, it's so powerful. His hour has come. Now we speak of it in context of our own lives and events in our own lives and so on. But uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's all ultimately powerful when Jesus speaks to, of it. In fact, in, in 12.27, he says, um, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And that's why I'm so confident to say that the purpose of Jesus' advent to this world is the atonement. I have come to this hour. Uh, the word Passover means, uh, well, to pass over, I, <laughs> obviously. But um, uh, passing over is the, the angel of the Lord passing over, hopscotching over the houses of the Israelites because they had had lamb's blood smeared, painted on the doorposts of their doors, of their doorways, in order that the firstborn might not be killed. And I think this is a very important point, that we always see the passion of Jesus as the greatest Passover of all. I think somehow, and perhaps maybe I grew up thinking that, okay, that was a great Passover then. But truly, this is the Passover, mm -hmm. not just for two, three, four million Israelites, but for all people. Yeah. Paid for giving them back in the days when they escaped from Egypt, the Israelites, that is, freedom from uh, political and physical bondage. But here, this gives, this Passover that Jesus gives, gives freedom to all people. He paid the price for all people. In fact, in some languages, the word for Easter Sunday is Passover day. I have a story from the parish about 20 years ago. I had a man who was of Danish descent. He was actually a Canadian. And uh, I talked with, wanted to get some information when it came time to do his funeral uh, about when he was baptized and confirmed. So I called the church in up in Canada and Turned out he was confirmed on the Danish word was Paskadog, Passover Day. That's their word for Easter Sunday. I thought, 
well, isn't that great? Uh, I know that's, they call Easter Sunday Passover Day, Paschada. Mm. Well, you you uh, still see that language within the church uh, in, the, oh, sure. in the proper preface for the season of Lent, which we've just begun using. You know, it talks about being prepared to celebrate the Paschal Feast, and that, that language of the Paschal Feast that you see in some of the liturgical aspects of the Church and in some of our hymnody as well, that's the connection, Paschal having to do with the Passover. But for us as Christians, what Christ accomplishes during Holy Week and Easter, that is the true Passover. And I really appreciate you making that point, that all the Passovers that have happened in the past, even that one in Exodus— it was all pointing forward to this Passover, to the Passover of all Passovers, the fulfillment, where Christ sets us free from sin and death. So so that's yeah. our context. Jesus is at his hour. It has come. And, and John then, he focuses us, especially on the love that Jesus has at this moment. He says he's... Jesus has loved his own who were in the world, and now he's going to love them to the end. Talk about this love of Jesus that John yeah. describes. Yeah, the word the word there is agape, that magnificent love of God for us. And uh, the word, of course, he loved them to the end, to the tatelos, to the, to the end. That's the same word Jesus used when he said, it is finished. Uh, I came to the, the ending of this. I, it is finished. It is done. Uh, when Jesus had been resurrected, he spoke with Mary Magdalene in the garden. She didn't recognize him. And he, he, he said, I am, uh, oh, excuse me. I, I lost my context there. Beg your pardon. Oh yeah. Yeah. When he loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. But, um, it, here's a, a passage from John 15, greater love has no man, but that he give his life for his friends. Jesus is speaking of that just after. Uh, just after this conversation. And that is, were they thinking that he was speaking in general terms? Well, perhaps not, perhaps, perhaps not. But uh, but that's clearly what happened. He gave his life, not just for his friends, but for all people. And I think the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to give it context with the chapters before, is that with the raising of Lazarus, he reached the pinnacle of his wonders done to and for others, the ultimate of love, the very destruction of death. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus, come forth. He, that's the ultimate love. He did all sorts of miracles, made the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the lame to walk, cast demons out. But the ultimate enemy, of course, is death. And that was the ultimate part of his love, conquering death by submitting to death, by the way, which we read about in 18 and 19. Um, to, should I go on with the second verse now? Or sure, yeah, we can, we can. Oh. So, I mean, just this matter of he's loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. Uh, my mind goes back to John 3, 16 even, for God so loved the world. So we're yeah. going to see what this love of God for the world looks like, not only in this chapter, but again with our eyes focused on the cross, it is finished, as we will hear Jesus say in John chapter 19. So we're yeah. already looking forward to that, and we're going to see a, a picture of that. I think that's how the foot washing is going to fit into this. Yeah, The foot washing becomes a picture of Jesus' love for his disciples all the way to the end, to the completion. So, and, and he does it through servanthood, yeah. Yes, yes, and that's going to become very important as the chapter progresses, as we see Jesus wash the feet. So again, before that, John gives yep. us more context. He says it's during supper now in verse 2, 
and the devil has already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Talk about the that added context. Not only is this the Passover, but here's one of the 12 who's going to betray Jesus. Yeah, these are his 12 hand, hand-picked apostoloses, <laughs> sent ones. He chose them specifically. And the what's not mentioned here, and it's mentioned, but it's not mentioned, it's implied. Here they are sitting at a meal, the Passover meal, that ultimate meal of the remembrance of God's love for Israel and certainly of his love for all people. But it's at this meal that Judas is all the while contemplating treachery by stabbing his master in the back. There was a, three, I noticed a few days ago, um, 331 years ago, there was a, um, something called the Glencoe Massacre. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Happened in Scotland. There was a few clans in Scotland that had not quite uh, sworn obedience or sworn, loyal, sworn loyalty to King William of England. And uh, they had to be taken care of. So these McDonald's, who had not yet sworn loyalty to, to England, uh, greeted another clan called the Argyles. And they came in the middle of winter. It was very snowy. And they came into the house of McDonald. They were fed and they were, they were given place, places to sleep. And it was very cold and it was very snowy, much as it is in the north now. And they got up and they killed their hosts. They murdered them. Unbelievable treachery that you would have, that you would be shown such, such love, such welcoming, such hospitality, and then arise and kill your host. That's exactly, it's a vivid picture of what, what Judas did, especially mm-hmm. in the context of a meal, the meal of reconciliation, which was, which was, it, which was, uh, which it was for the Jews. So, um, he knew that, but yet he goes on with verse three. Uh, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, uh, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, John 10, right in the middle of the Good Shepherd discourse, and that he'd come from God and was too soon to go back to God. That I'm sorry, I misread here. That's what Jesus said to Mary Magdalene after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus turned to her and said, Mary, and she said, Rabboni. And he said, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm going to go back and sit at his right hand. And that's, that, again, that was part of the plan as well, hmm. that he would, he would then, from that point, from the right hand of his Father, plead for each and every one of us. Hmm. Okay, and then, and then uh, verse two, verses 2, 3, and 4 are pretty much together. They're they all they're all one sentence in the English. But then comes the servanthood. He rose from supper. Just a second, aside. Pastor Shea. Let oh, me sure. let me yeah. yeah, no, I I appreciate all all that you've said. It's very helpful context to to oh, remind yeah. us of just how treacherous Judas's act really is that yeah. it happens in the context of the meal. That's something we want to keep in mind, especially for tomorrow's text as well. It's going to come out even more as Jesus mm-hmm. talks to Judas specifically, but already here you see that in mind. And then the the fact, though, that Jesus knows these things are going to happen, and yet he still goes forward in love. I, I think this is one of those most beautiful pictures in the Gospels yeah. of the willingness of Jesus in what he's doing, 
in the love of Jesus and what he's doing. And as you've pointed out from chapter 10, he is going to lay down his life. Even with Judas about to do what he's going to do, Jesus goes willingly. He is doing this of his own love, of his own will. And I think that's such a wonderful thing to keep in mind. This isn't some sort of like political movement that's killing Jesus against his will. He is doing this because he wants to. He wants to save us sinners. This is his great love to the end that's on display in this text. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, what would you do if you were in a corporate boardroom or on a church council right. or something like that? We find out somebody who's a, a turncoat, as we call them, a Quisling or, or a Benedict Arnold. What do you do? Well, you get rid of them, or at least yeah. you expose them. What does Jesus do? Well, he washes his feet. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what he does. That's he, right. He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the guy's feet. Uh, so let's let's um, talk about this a- aspect of foot washing. We've got about two minutes here before the break, so sure. we're going to have to talk about it on the other side as well. But just give us at least some of the cultural context of of washing the feet. What's the? I mean, when Jesus performs this action, why is that such a significant action? Well, first of all, the servants do the foot washing. The other thing that would be good to, before the break too to mention is that it happens before supper. You come into the house and you get your feet washed, not in the middle of supper. So we don't, we're not given all the details. Perhaps they already had their feet washed when they came in. Now Jesus does it again. Our the point is in the middle of the meal. John's pretty clear about that. He lays aside his outer garments, starts to look a lot like a domestic servant and starts to wash their feet. I'm guessing that 10 of the 11 were absolutely astonished Peter shot his mouth off, but uh, um, but they were just thinking it was so unusual to have that right in the middle of uh, of the meal that I think they were just probably flabbergasted as mm. to what was going on. Sure, and I, I think yeah, the the surprise certainly comes through as Peter will express it later in the text, and, sure. and perhaps you know as you said, this is happening during supper rather than before it. This is a bit of pious speculation, I hope. But perhaps, you know, with just Jesus and his 12, normally it would have been the lowest servant to wash feet. We know from other texts that the disciples liked to pick the highest spots for themselves and probably weren't right. going to be the ones to volunteer to wash everybody else's feet. So perhaps no one's washed their feet at this point, or they've all kind of washed their own, maybe. Jesus here surprises yeah, them greatly. Know. Yeah, either way. Jesus yeah. surprises them greatly by what he does in this action, taking the servant's role, and not just any servant, but the lowest servant of all. So let's go ahead and, and take our break right there, sure. Pastor Shea. You're listening okay. to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Bernie Shea this morning about John 13. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. 
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, March 13th. We are studying John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20 with Pastor Bernie Shea. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Old Dime Box, Texas. Pastor Shea, prior to the break, we were talking about Jesus' action in rising during supper to take the form of a servant to wash feet. John gives us some of the details of how Jesus performs this action. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel, wraps it around his waist pours the water, and begins to wash. Talk about those actions. What do they teach us about Jesus and the way he loves to the end? I think part of it is negative because it is, as you implied too, that, or you suggested that the disciples or the, the, the 12 apostles, perhaps they weren't going to wash each other's feet. So they, not a, no feet got washed. So he said, well, so Jesus, to, to show them what servanthood was in the middle of supper, he gets down on his hands and knees and starts washing feet. It was important for feet to be washed because these are the days of sandals. And there was not just dust on the roads. There was all kinds of other rubbish. And I guess the word is detritus. And so it was important for hygiene to have feet washed. And the lowest servant would do it. Laid aside his outer clothing. And um, it does remind us of Mark 10, 45. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And then we read and to give his life as a ransom for many. So there's service. And ultimately all of this is looking toward the atonement, the service that Jesus performs. And we're going to see that in just a few minutes. That was the end of that uh, sentence that in English is verses two, three, and four. And then in verse five, um, he poured water into a vase and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. Uh, there's a passage in Isaiah Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them that bring good news. And feet are generally seen as sort of an immodest part of the body. I, I know it's only been in recent decades that we spend a lot of time looking, photographing, and picturing feet. And as I said before, as I implied, they're scruffy, they're dirty, they catch everything that's out on the road. But feet are an image of uncleanness and therefore of sin. Uh, to this day in the Middle East, uh, I remember seeing around the time of the fall of the Iraqi regime, regime headed by Saddam Hussein that people would take their shoes off and slap statues of Saddam Hussein uh, in order to show ultimate disrespect to him. Mm. And uh, there was, um, well, there was another episode when George Bush went over to Iraq, I think. And one of the journalists there threw his shoe at President Bush. Again, I, I remember just, that. I was going to bring that up. That? I was going to bring yeah. that up as an example of the way that feet are regarded as something that are unclean. Yeah. That's a, a pretty big insult. Yeah, early in the book of Isaiah, too, the the vision of Isaiah, the, the angels uh, uh, covered their faces, um, covered their faces and their feet. You know, that was interesting. Two that each had six wings. 
two, they covered their faces. Two, with two, they flew. With two, they covered their feet. I thought, oh, that's interesting. It's, we, we don't understand it very much in our, in our, um, uh, in our culture. And there was a commentator by, a, by the name of Romanus Melodus who observed then that the great potter of the universe now bends down to cleanse the ones who have feet of clay. Now, feet of clay is a reference to Daniel 2, the image, uh, the, the image that Daniel interpreted, the head of gold, the shoulders, arms of silver, and so on, and the feet of clay and iron. And then um, in the book of Isaiah 45, does the clay say to him who forms it, that is to say the potter, that's not picture uh, that's not mentioned there, but what are you making or your work has no handles? And I think that's Romanus Melodus's point. The great potter of the universe uh, now bends down to cleanse the ones who have feet of clay. It's a very stark image. <laughs> you know, the great potter becomes the servant to the ones who are the weakest of all. And that's the ones with the feet of clay. Uh, and, you know, Christ Jesus, our Savior, gets his fingers dirty, as one of my seminary profs used to say. He gets his fingers dirty, literally and spiritually, by entering our world. It's, it's, it's a, an extremely vivid episode, this book-washing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just thinking back to John chapter one, where Jesus or where John writes that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Here's what yeah. that glory looks like. It is the glory of, of God to serve his creatures. It is a, a marvelous picture of the love that Jesus has. Now, as, as we've said, there's great surprise among the disciples. And of course, who would speak up about it other than our friend Simon Peter? So oh, yeah. let's let's go into the interaction between sure. Peter and Jesus. Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus has some answers. They go back and forth. Take us into this interaction. Yeah, yeah. He, in fact, uh, the way John puts it, in, in the original puts it, do you wash my feet? You, you, rabbi? No, you're a rabbi. You're not a servant. What are you doing? And this is sort of a, a shade of, of Peter's response in Matthew 16. Not saying, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm your man. I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. He just didn't understand what servanthood and what, what, what real compassion was. He didn't understand that there was no other way than around the cross. And the cross was the ultimate act of servanthood. I remember seeing a film many years ago and where it was a black and white film where Jesus' face was never shown. But he spoke King James English, and the disciples around like they came from the Bronx. It was it was kind of funny, and I thought I thought that was just sort of amazing that uh, there would be that huge separation between them. I thought, yeah, I don't know about that. I think there's it, Jesus really does come to share, including our accents wherever we come from. He is among us. He is one of us, and that's so important. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we do wash each other's feet for that, for that matter. Jesus goes on to say uh, to Peter, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And in there, that's, he, he emphasizes the word I, what I am doing, you do not understand, but you will. And you will no longer see through a glass darkly, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 13. Peter's response to that is, well, um, in fact, it's, it's, it's a remarkable bunch of negatives here. Uh, 
He said, you, Peter says to Jesus, you will never, no way wash my feet into eternity. That's mm. sort of what the original says. It's an extremely emphatic uh, refusal. And Jesus responds, well, okay, you know, but if, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Uh, you have absolutely no part of me. And of course, uh, Peter then begins to see the light. Thanks be to God. <laughs> you don't have any part of me. Well, I do want to be a part of you. I do want to have a part of you, Lord. And so Peter said to him, okay, well, not my feet only, then, then my hands and my head too. And it's kind of interesting in verse 9 there that, that Peter says, it's for those of you who are into grammar, it's the vocative case. He says, Kyrie, O Lord. O Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter knew who was in charge. He shot his mouth off way too much, but he still knew who his Lord was. Even if he denied him pretty shortly after all of this, he did know that that was Jesus was doing. He would understand later. Hmm. Um, Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not wear to swear deceitfully. Um, well, all of us uh, have unclean hands and impure hearts. And I, I think Peter would could see that, that Jesus was talking about more than just hosing down his feet and giving him a some kind of a pedicure as far as that goes. Uh, Jesus goes further on to say, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So what is he, what's he saying? Is he saying, are we talking about common everyday walking down the street there in Jerusalem or Capernaum? Or is he saying, uh, is he referring to the ultimate cleansing, and that is the forgiveness of sins? Mm. I think he's, I think he's talking about both. Uh, but then he concludes by saying, and you are clean. He knew they were sinners. He says, and you are clean, but not every one of you. Mm. So what did what did Judas think? That he was getting over on the rabbi? Was he getting over on his Lord? Mm. Well, we Here's get more of we get more of that conversation between Jesus and Judas in the text that we have tomorrow. But it is again uh, yeah. worth pointing out here that Jesus once again knows what is happening. He he is quite aware of Judas's betrayal, and yet Jesus is going willingly to his death, which is then this washing the the washing that you need to have or you don't have a share with Jesus is as you've been saying all along. It's the atonement. This is this yeah. is the washing that they need so that they are, in fact, clean. And that's where, you know, for, for Peter to reject yeah. Jesus washing his feet, it, it's not so much about the actual washing of the feet as it is the washing of the sins. And if, if Peter is not willing to receive this service from Jesus, how can he receive the greater service from Jesus? You brought up Mark 10, 45. He right. came to serve us by giving his life as a ransom for many. This foot washing is a picture of that ahead of time. And so Peter needs to have it because he needs to have that greater service, the washing of sins that's accomplished by his, by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. And he says uh, that uh, he who is bathed does not need to wash. He says, all of you are clean. Well, me, it's clear that they're clean, not because they're not sinners. They know very well they are, right. but, but they are, they believe Jesus. 
What is the work of God? To believe in the one whom he has sent, as he says in John 6. There was a guy named uh, Ephraim the Syrian, a church father, who says, Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer, who then showed his gratitude by piercing those kind hands hmm. with nails. It's another stark image. I'd never, I don't think I'd ever heard of Ephraim the Syrian, but uh, yeah. thought that was a kind of a nice, some of those guys do a good job of contrasting what is going on in, in other words. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, again, just to keep in mind, the other thing from yeah. this verse about Judas is to remember that he's there at this point. He has not left the supper. That's going to happen in the no. next text. He hasn't left yet, which means Jesus washed his betrayer's feet, knowing that he's the betrayer. Again, that is the that is the great love that the Lord has for us. As Paul puts it in Romans 5, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That He knew who we were. He still loved us. That's the love to the end. Absolutely. And he continues to beckon us when we do things we know are wrong, when we say things we know are wrong, when we who are the baptized. You know? yeah. yeah, he knew he was who he was to betray him. That's why he said not all of you are, are clean. Uh, it's also worth a mention that Judas took part in the very first Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. That was given to, to Judas also. He ate the true body and true blood of Jesus, but it did him no good. Mm. Um well, let's go well, ahead, Pastor Shea, yeah. if we can. Let's let's re read the rest of our text for today, because we have seen sure. Jesus teach his disciples what the service that he's about to give on the cross looks like. It is the greatest service of all, but he's also going to use it now as he continues teaching as an example for them. So that's where we're picking up the text in John 13, verse 12 now. When he, Jesus, had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. That takes us to the end of our text for today through John 13, verse 20. So, Pastor Shea, in verse 12, everyone's back at the table like they're supposed to be. Jesus has his outer garments on again. Now he's going to teach his disciples what this means for their ongoing lives as his disciples. Take us into what he says from the outset. It almost seems like a rhetorical question. Do you understand what I've done to you? I would guess they'd all be still flabbergasted saying, well, I don't think so, Master. I don't think so, Lord. He washed all 24 feet put his outer garments back on again. And then he begins to explain, you call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, kurios, or uh, go back between Hebrew and Greek there. And that's true. That's another great I am statement of John's gospel. For so I am. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. And if I got down on my hands and knees there to, to, to clean off your scruffy, scruffy feet and by the way, he's really emphatic about this. If therefore 
I washed your feet, y'all's feet, then you need to wash one another's feet. Um, a word in here, I believe I, some of the reading I did, I found that the Armenian Orthodox Church still performs the rite of foot washing on Maundy Thursday. Uh, now, apparently it's not Maundy Thursday or Holy Thursday for them in the Armenian Orthodox Church, unless they do foot washing. So is he, is Jesus saying, wash each other's feet? Well, he goes on to explain that in just a minute. Every Holy Week, you're going to see some photo op, some filmed photo op of usually religious notables. I, I just love that expression, religious notables uh, who have a, assemble a bunch of people and they start washing their feet. But in verse 15, just, Jesus says, I have given you an example. So with the Lord's Supper, he says, do this. But here he says, I have given you an example. I'm giving you an example of what you should do, that kind of service. So uh, I believe it was Paul Meyer. You know, Paul Meyer, the oh, taught at was it Western Michigan University. Yes. Has written all kinds of books. And I remember in one of his filmed uh, documentaries, he said, you know, I'm really grateful that foot washing did not become part of our church's tradition. Because to this day, I mean, let's face, let's not go into graphic detail, but it's, it's it's not a whole lot of fun to uh, to wash somebody else's feet, especially if they haven't washed them for a while. Well, so if I can kind of to yeah. to help kind of bring this out, so foot washing isn't a part of our tradition in the sense that we do it in our congregations every Monday Thursday, or that it's a part of the regular practice in the sense that you know a pastor or another Christian kneels down in front of another person, takes their shoes and socks off, and literally washes their feet. In that sense, foot washing is not a part of our tradition. In another That's sense, though, right. <laughs> right. But in the other sense, foot washing is a part of our tradition in the sense of this humble service that we see from our Lord. That is what every Christian is called to do, is that same sort of humble service, even if it takes a different action than the literal washing of someone else's feet. And I, I think the the contrast you drew between Jesus saying, do this as often as you eat it versus here it's an example i think that's a, a perfect reason to for the the reason that foot washing is a part of our tradition in that way rather than the literal washing of feet yeah you know i uh, <laughs> that, that's right and that word example is key there 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 can be a lot other act many other acts of service which are far more unpleasant than washing somebody else's feet which you and i may be called to do whatever right. i you're a parish pastor. You know you you've been in 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 places that um, don't smell very good, and uh, there's a lot of conflict going on. That's service too, and not just as parish pastors. Oh my goodness, um, you have children too. You know what it's like to change diapers. Is that not service to one another? Sure, it is. You know what it's like to to hold up to sit up with a sick child. Uh, or a or a neighbor who's having a tough time. We all know what that's like. Right. Know? Right. And, or we yeah. should all know. That's, well, that's and that's where this do. is this example that Jesus sets is not just for the disciples as those who are apostles who will be, you know, the the first pastors of the early pastors, church. Right. But yeah. rather this for is the example us. that's for all of us, for all Christians who call Jesus master, then we should not expect our life to look different than his. 
That's the point that he makes there in, in verse 16. Yeah. A servant isn't greater yeah, than master. Yeah, that's what he goes on to say. He said, you, you, this is what I've done. I've shown you. Yeah. So if you think, yeah, you might as well wrap around a, wrap a towel around your waist because there's going to be a lot that you will be um, you doing that are acts of service. And um, they're acts of service that have to do not just with helping someone physically, like changing a diaper, but also uh, telling them the good news of Jesus and suffering the consequences of that. I think that's key there, too. Uh, we're, we're not greater than, his mas than, than our master. If he got criticized, spat upon, pounded, and perhaps even killed, so it may happen to us as well. If the Lord and sender washes feet, then we as students and sent ones, in a sense, every Christian is a sent one. I'm not going to, there are only 12 apostles. I understand that, but we have been sent out into this world. We can do no less than be servants of one another. And if you know these things, you are blessed. If you, you are blessed, I'd rather put it that way, blessed if, blessed are you if you do them. We know that our, our lives are acts of service. One of my teachers um, many years ago said, basically, he said, life, of, life in Christ is a life of service to one another, to certainly to our Lord and to him through one another. And that's, that's what life in Christ is. If he served us, we serve him. In 18... Uh, um, Jesus goes back to saying, I am not speaking of all of you. And we all know who's sticking out like a sore thumb there in Jesus' eyes anyway, and that's, that's Judas. I know whom I have chosen. He has chosen all of them, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And um, again, he, he emphasizes it by using that first-person singular pronoun, I know the ones I have called out. I doesn't so, come out so much in English. I know the ones I've called out, the ones I've chosen. But in Psalm 41 is, Psalm 41 is where that quote comes from. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I don't, it's written by King David. I'm not sure we know the, I don't think we know the exact occasion, but, uh, you know, we speak of the fact that Jesus had, uh, we say types or precursors in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses, uh, Joshua, um, um, you know, all, all sorts of uh, types of Christ that, that came up. Uh, yeah. But uh, there's also a, a type of Judas. And one commentator I read said, um, you know, Ahithophel, who sided with Absalom against David, was a type of Judas precursor of Judas. And I thought, wow, that one's, that's rather powerful. Mm -hmm. Ahithophel um, took counsel with Absalom and said, hey, look, what you need to do is jump David while he's weak. And, um, um, and uh, Hushai the Archite, I believe it was, that said, no, no, bad advice, bad advice. And Ahithophel went out and hanged himself just as, just as Judas did later. Again, it's a powerful image. It's a negative one. But when we come to Holy Week, we do talk about extremely unpleasant things. Mm. Jesus then says, um, I'm telling you this now before it takes place. And I think, it, yes, the, the apostles were anointed by the Holy Spirit and they had it poured out on them in Pentecost. 
but they did have to have things to explain explain to them. I'm telling you this now before it take place, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Another powerful phrase, that I am he. That's extremely emphatic. I am I am the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. And then you will have further confirmation, as if you didn't have enough already, but you need further confirmation that, um, well, like Martha said, you are the Christ who is coming into the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He gives them that confidence going into these events so that when they see yeah. Judas betray him in just a few short chapters, they will not be surprised. Now, they're not going to understand all of it until after everything has happened, as we, we know. But it, yeah, it's they don't enough. connect all the dots. That's right, know, but it's they, enough to sustain right. them at the time. So tell us about right. that last verse that we have in our text. Verse that 20. last verse, yeah. There's so many echoes of that last verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one I, I uh, who sent me. Um, Luke 10, 16, whoever receives you receives me. John 10, verse 10, I and the Father are one, one in will and one in purpose. And uh, John 12, just the chapter before this, whoever believes in me, uh, believes in not in me, but in him who sent me. He's there. There's that assurance. I, <laughs> Since before Jesus was crucified, people have tried to separate him from the Father. Mm. He insisted, though, that it was not true. He did say, I and the Father are one. Yes, I came from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. He and I are united in this purpose. But he says it again for emphasis that we might have that assurance that that this is God's will. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have one purpose. And that's the, the salvation of mankind. He receive, whoever receives the one, uh, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And we have that assurance and that promise. It's it's really comforting, and especially they're going to need that comfort when Jesus is betrayed. That'll be your next session, but the, Jesus is betrayed, and they all run for the high grass. You know? so, so Jesus, and, he, he leaves them with this comfort, and he leaves us with this comfort as well, Yeah, that to receive the one sent by Jesus is to receive Jesus, and not just to receive Jesus, but to receive the Father. That's the reason that Jesus has come is to bring us to the Father through faith in him. That is his love for us to the end. Pastor Shea, Pastor Bernie Shea, is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Old Dimebox, Texas. He's been helping us today to study John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Shea, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me, Pastor Apple. Uh, blessed Lenten season to you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, please send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can download the KFUO app. I would certainly encourage you to do that in any case, but through that app, you can send us a message through the open mic feature. Either way, it's a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk again tomorrow.